We can fall into the trap of judging other people and it catches us off guard all the time. James here is condemning careless, derogatory, critical, slanderous accusations against other people. He says, you know, we accuse others thinking that it's going to excuse us. You know, it's easy to look at other people and judge them and be critical of them and go, well, I'm not that bad. When we pass judgment on other people, it's, it's unchristian. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Let's all remember how much God has shown mercy to us, and then we will be able to show mercy to others. And we'll stop judging, and we'll quit playing God. Let me ask you guys a question this morning by a show of hands. How many of you guys wish you knew the future? You wish you knew the future. Would you raise your hand? Okay. Some of you. How many of you say, I really don't want to know the future? A few others. Okay. Let me ask this question. How many of you can tell the future? You know the future already. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. All right. Please talk to me afterward. I got some questions about some stocks. So we'd like to talk about that. Um, the truth is everyone is interested in the future and future events. And sometimes people make predictions about the future, but they get it desperately wrong. Let me give you some examples. In 1903, the president of the Michigan Savings Bank advising Henry Ford's lawyer not to invest in the Ford Motor Company said this, The horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty and a fad. He missed that one, didn't he? Here's another prediction about the future. 1948, Mary Somerville, pioneer of radio broadcasting, said this, Television won't last. It's just a flash in the pan. So y'all don't have those today, do you? Uh, in 1962, you'll like this one, a Decca Records executive to the band's manager, Brian Epstein, following an audition of the Beatles, said this, The Beatles have no future in show business. I think they did okay. In 1995, Robert Metcalf, inventor of the Ethernet, said this, I predict the Internet will, go, will soon go spectacularly supernova and in 1996, catastrophically collapse. So you all better check your Internet this afternoon. Make sure it's still okay. And you're going to love this one. In 2007, Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer said this, there's no chance the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. No chance. How many of y'all have an iPhone today? Predictions about the future. Americans have, have always uh, been forward-thinking and thinking about the future and planning for the future. Recently, a U.S. news article said the future has become an obsession for us in America. What, what's going to happen next month? What's going to happen next year in the next decade? Well, we read books like Megatrends. We subscribe to newsletters that forecast economic predictions. We go to seminars on planning and, and goal setting for the, for the future. Uh, some people even go as far as going to fortune tellers and horoscopes and palm reading, trying to figure out the future. But today I want us to answer this question. How should we as Christians face the future? How should we as Christians? Today our title of our message, we continue our series in James, is How to Face Your Future. If you haven't already turned to the book of James, James chapter 4 is where we'll begin today in verse 13. And we'll go through verse 17 through the end of the chapter in our verse-by-verse -verse study. And James is going to share with us three common mistakes to avoid when we face our future. Three common mistakes we need to avoid as Christians as we face our future. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first mistake that we want to avoid. Common mistake number one is planning without God. 
We don't want to make the mistake of planning without God. And James begins in verse 13 with an illustration. It's kind of a typical conversation between two businessmen. You know, maybe one's got his MBA from University of Jerusalem. The other's a CEO of a Tel Aviv 500 company. And they've got this business uh, plan, this, this, this idea. In verse 13, it says this. Come now, you who say, and here's the, the business conversation, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there and we'll buy and we'll sell and we'll make what? Make a profit. They got this business plan all put together, planning out their future. Now you might go, well, what's wrong with this? I mean, people make plans every day. I mean, maybe these guys are just good entrepreneurs like a lot of you. Uh, they're go-getters. They want to make a living. But I want you to notice the details of this business plan. I mean, in verse 13, they have everything planned out. Their, their business plan tells them when they're going to do this, today or tomorrow, where they're going to do it. They're going to go to this city or that city, how long they're going to do it. They're going to spend a year there, what they're going to do. They're going to buy and they're going to sell and, and why they're going to do it. It's to make what? To make a profit. You say, well, isn't this good business planning? I mean, shouldn't they be commended for this smart strategy? I mean, after all, the Bible doesn't condemn legitimate business planning or making a profit. I mean, they plan their, their purpose, their place, their progress, their profit. So what's the problem? What's the mistake? What's wrong here? Well, you'll notice in verse 13, there's not a single mention of God anywhere in their entire business plan. It's what they're going to do, what they've planned, and God's not even consulted or mentioned at all. They knew what they wanted to do, how they were going to get it done, but they didn't check in with God first. They made the first mistake, planning without God. Now, don't misunderstand what we're talking about here, and James is talking about, we're not... James is not saying we shouldn't plan. I mean, the Bible encourages smart and good planning. You can read the parable in Luke chapter 14 later where Jesus says, you know, who doesn't set out to build a tower or a building or a home and doesn't first plan it out and make sure they've got enough to, to take care of it. You know, I've shared with you guys that uh, we're going to be closing on the 38 acres of land next door a week from Thursday. That land is going to be ours. And we're excited about that. And we're making plans for the, for the future. Um, we've already hired a building consultant. He met with us a couple of weeks ago, and a, about 20-some leaders in our church. And, and we're making plans. But we've been waiting on God and asking God, what do you want us to do this? We, we don't want to plan without you. And so there's nothing wrong with planning. Proverbs teaches it's foolish not to plan. It's great to dream. It's great to set goals. It's great to have a plan as long as those plans include God. When it's a mistake is when we plan without God. You see, the problem here wasn't planning, it was presumption. They were presuming things and leaving God out of the picture. There's nothing wrong with what they did, it's what they didn't do. They forgot to consult God and include Him in their plans. The issue was the attitude of self-sufficiency. You know, we don't need to ask God, we don't need to consult God, we've got a plan, we got it figured out, this is what we're going to do. There was an article um, in Time Magazine several years ago. It was uh, about a man named Alexander, something that I can't pronounce in Russian, so I'm not even going to attempt. So we're just going to call him Al. And I want to read an excerpt from this article in Time magazine. And here's what he said. Since I have spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of the Russian Revolution, in the process I've collected hundreds of personal testimonies, read hundreds of books, contributed eight volumes of my own. But if I were asked today to formulate as precisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution in Russia that swallowed up some 60 million Russians, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat this phrase, men have forgotten God. 
He said, I'd sum up everything in their demise with the statement, men have forgotten God. And he goes on to say, what is more, if I were called upon to identify the principal trait of the entire 20th century, I would be unable to reflect anything more precise than this statement. Men have forgotten God. Forgotten to consult God and talk to God and plan with God. And we all know a lot of Christians who, who, who love God and say they're following God, but they plan their lives and their careers and their school and, and their business without God. And they just go on with life without consulting God at all, just like these men here in verse 13. And James is saying we can't compartmentalize our lives as Christians between Sunday and Monday, between sacred and secular. It's all God's business as Christians. Amen? All of our life and every decision and every part of our life. You know, what's really sad about an atheist, when you think of an atheist, an atheist is someone who denies the existence of God and lives as if he doesn't exist. And that's really sad. But maybe what's even more sad is many Christians claim the name of Christ, but they live like God doesn't exist. They make decisions, they make plans for their marriage, for their family, for their business, and they don't consult God. One commentator said it this way, and I think I put it in your notes. Planning without God for a Christian is practical atheism. Planning without God is practical atheism. James says, don't make the mistake as you face your future. Don't make the mistake of planning without God. Now, here's the solution. Here's the good news. Because James not only points out the, the mistake and the problem, but he gives us the solution. Here's the solution. It's simple. Include God in your plans. Make sure you include God in your plans for the future. Look at verse 15. What James says, instead, he said, instead of planning without God, you ought to say, if the Lord, what, wills or wants this to happen, we shall live and we'll do this or that. Well, we're going to consult God. We're going to include God in our plans. This should be our basic attitude toward life. Have you ever noticed that even the best laid out plans sometimes fall through? Say yes. You know, just ask the government. They make a lot of plans that don't go as planned. You, you've heard of Murphy's Law. You make a plan and Murphy shows up. Something's going to go wrong, it will go wrong. You know, there's a lot of ifs in our life, aren't there? There's a lot of ifs. As a matter of fact, there's a big if in the middle of life, if you think about it. Life has a big if in the middle of it. We, we don't know for sure what's going to happen. And if we're not careful, we'll make plans without including God. And the starting point, James says, as we're facing our future with God is, is, is to ask God, God, what do you want to do with my life? What are your plans for my, my life? What are your plans for my marriage, my family, my business? I'm yours, and I'm not going to make plans without you. Because planning without prayer is presumptuous. And we need to preface our planning, James says, with if God wills. Lord willing. Now, you, some of you might think, well, isn't that just kind of a cliche phrase that we can tack on to the end of things? Like, well, Lord willing, it's not going to snow this afternoon. Lord willing, I'm going to make par on the back nine. Lord willing, the Broncos are going to win today. You know, and it, sometimes it can just become a cliche and something we say. But, but it should be more than just something we say. It should be something we feel and we believe in our heart. And it's more than just a good reminder. Christians for centuries, when they used to write letters, at the end of their letter, they would put the letters DV on the letter. And the letters DV stand for the Latin Deo Valente. And that's not a jeans designer, okay? Deo Valente. Deo Valente means God willing, Lord willing. 
I'm not going to make plans without God. I'm going to include God in my plans. I'm going to say, this is what I want to do if the Lord wills, if the Lord wants, if the Lord is willing. I think there are three possible responses in our life to God's will. We can make reference to it, which James is talking about here. We can just say the words, Lord willing, or we can show deference to it, meaning we accept it and we take it seriously. But even better yet, we should show preference to it. Deeply desiring God's will and God's plan in our life when we make our plans. A verse that has been very meaningful to our family. When we stepped out in faith to plant Orchard Church nine years ago. Started as a Bible study in our apartment. A verse that a missionary shared with me. I've never forgotten and I've tried to live by it for the last nine years and the next nine years. And as long as God allows me to, to lead this church. It's Proverbs 16, 9. And it says this, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Isn't that true? We can make our plans, but the Lord is the one who directs our steps. And sometimes we think, well, I'm going to go this way. And God says, no, I want you to go this way. Sometimes we think, I'm going to walk through this door. And God closes and says, no, I want you to walk through this door. Don't make this mistake of planning without God. Include God in your plans and really ask God, God, what is your will? What is your plan? I think sometimes if we're not careful, we make this mistake. I've made this mistake. We make our plans. We look at them. We feel really good about them. And then we say, God, would you please bless these plans? Instead of saying, God, would you show me the plans you're already blessing? You see the difference? Rather than us coming up with a plan and asking God to bless it, ask God, God, where are you already at work? Where can I join you in that work? Again, when we stepped out in faith to plant Orchard Church, it was not our idea. It was God's idea. We've just joined God in this journey and tried to stay out of the way and not mess it up. And I believe one of the reasons God has blessed this church so tremendously is because we believe we didn't make plans and ask God to bless it. We said, God, where do you want a church? In what community? And we just want to join you in what you're already blessing. In your plans for our life, not our plans. James says, as we face our future, don't make the mistake of planning without God. Include God in your plans. Here's another common mistake as we face the future we need to beware of. It's presuming about tomorrow. We shouldn't presume about tomorrow. Look at verse 14 of James chapter 4. James says, whereas you do not know what will happen when, church? Tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. And then look at verse 16. He says, but now you boast about all your plans and your arrogance. Arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He says, it's boasting. It's arrogant to presume about tomorrow. Presuming we're going to live forever. We're going to have plenty of time. I think there are two reasons that it's a mistake for any of us to presume about tomorrow and that we always have tomorrow. One reason is this because life is unpredictable. Life is so unpredictable. James just told us in verse 14. He says you don't know what is going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month. None of us can predict all that's going to happen in the future. I mean the economy can turn and go bad. A war can start. We can have an accident. We can face a health challenge. We can lose our job. Life is very unpredictable. I mean, who could have predicted the Broncos were going to lose to the Rams last week? I'm still one person, Adam. <laughs> I, I mean, I was shocked. I'm like, what is going on? And if that wasn't unpredictable enough and bad enough, who could have predicted the Raiders would get their first win on Thursday night against the Chiefs? But listen, church, we should have known. 
Let me take you back to last week when we talked about not judging. And I challenge you not to judge the Raiders fans. They need encouragement and they need prayer. You guys, some of you prayed them in a win last week. There's power in prayer. Who could have predicted that? We can't presume about tomorrow. We can't presume about today. Life is unpredictable. We have no assurances or guarantees of perpetual success. You know, we live in a day and age in the United States where things are so unpredictable. I mean, you go back 20, 30 years ago, and there were a lot of things you could kind of expect and predict. You know, you'd get a job, be there 20, 25 years, and retire. Not anymore. You know, we're always going to have our health care and benefits taken care of. Not anymore. There's so many things today that are unpredictable. This is so timely what James is talking about. As we make our future plans, we can't presume about tomorrow. Life is unpredictable. And that means as Christians, we got to trust God every day. Every day. Another reason it's a mistake to presume about tomorrow is not only because life is unpredictable, unpredictable, but life is brief. Life is very brief. Verse 14, James says here, life is like a vapor. Everybody say vapor. From God's perspective, our life is just like a vapor. The word vapor here comes from the Greek word atmos. It's where we get our word atmosphere. It's kind of like some mornings here in Denver. You wake up and there's a light mist or a light fog. But just give it an hour or two and the sun burns it off and it's, it's there and then it's gone. It disappears. Or a little kid, you know, on a cold day, breathes on a window and tries to write his name in it and it disappears and it's gone. James says that's how our life is. It's now you see it, now you don't. It's brief. As you read through the scriptures, the Bible describes our life in a lot of illustrative terms. It describes our life, it's like a shadow. The Bible says our life is like a cloud. It's there and then it's gone. The Bible says our life is like breath. It's there and it's gone. It's like grass that grows up and then withers away. Our, our life is like a leaf. Our life is like a puff of smoke. We can't presume about tomorrow because life is unpredictable and life is brief. One person said, life goes from Hot Wheels to wheelchairs pretty fast. <laughs> I came up with one of my own. Life goes from diapers to dignity to depends really fast. <laughs> Before you know it. James says, we better not take life for granted and assume we're going to live forever. You know, and there's lots of illustrations. You know, we think of famous people whose lives have been cut short. And I think in our generation, when I think about a life that was so brief, I think about Princess Diana, 36 years old, 36 years old, gets in a car accident, loses her life. And we see those kind of reminders around us all the time that life is brief. I want to read you guys a scripture. I'm going to put it on the screen in just a moment. This is probably not a verse that you have on a plaque at your house or cross stitch in a pillow. This is probably not a verse you've memorized, but listen to what this verse says in Isaiah 56, 12. Come, they say, let's get some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk. Then tomorrow we'll do it again and have an even bigger party. You say, that's in the Bible? Yes. <laughs> it's not for you to memorize. <laughs> Isaiah is describing wicked leaders. How wicked leaders plan their life. It's just life is one big party. And some of us know people like this. Just one party to the next party, the next party. We, we got the rest of our lives. You know, eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just have a good time. It's Miller time. But listen to what God says. 
God says that's, that's a mistake. Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't brag about tomorrow, since you don't know what the day is going to bring. Common mistake is presuming about tomorrow. Now here's the solution. It's simple. Live one day at a time. We need to live one day at a time. Jesus said in Matthew 6.34, probably a familiar scripture to some of you, He said, Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Can I have an amen? (laughs) Today's trouble is enough for today. We shouldn't presume about tomorrow. We need to live one day at a time. And I was preparing for this message. And I was uh, on the elliptical working out the, the other morning, just a couple mornings ago. And I was watching ESPN. And they were interviewing, in this same one interview, they were interviewing RG3, Roger Griffin III. And he had a really rough week the last couple weeks, and they were were really on him about his play. And so he was trying to answer the reporters. Listen to what he said. Any thought to dialing it back and saying less and just not being in the center of it all? Yeah, man, like I said, we're focused on San Francisco. So, like I said, just focus on San Francisco now. I'm just focused on San Francisco, doing what I can to help this team win. Focus on San Francisco, man, not letting anything on the outside distract us from that. Like I said, man, focus on San Francisco. Uh, yeah, like I said, focus on San Francisco, man. Other than answering every question with focusing on San Francisco, are you doing anything different uh, to prepare maybe than you would have done before? Just preparing for San Francisco, man. <laughs> There's a guy that was living one day at a time right there. I'm just focusing on right now. That's what James is telling us to do. Just to live for today. You see, now it's not wrong to plan. We've already talked about this. We can plan for the future and should plan for the future and include God in our plans. But we can only live for today. We can only live for today. One person said it this way. Life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. If you're not careful, we'll we'll get excited planning something in January and February and we'll miss Thanksgiving and Christmas. Live in the moment. Live for today. What we have today. Don't presume about tomorrow. You, you know, you sometimes hear people say, oh, the good old days. You remember the good old days? And they refer to 10, 15 years ago. Do you realize 10 years from now we'll be looking back to this as the good old days? So let's live in the good old, de- good old days. Let's live for today. Spencer Johnson was co-writer of a book maybe some of you have, have read called The One Minute Manager. He wrote another book called The Perfect Present. And in this book, he said this, all you really have is the present, right now. That's exactly what James is saying. We can't presume about tomorrow. We have to live for today. Yes, we plan for the future. We include God in our plans, but we live for today. You know, as I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but think about Orchard Church and what God's doing in our midst right now. And as we're getting ready to close on the 38 acres of land next door, you know, um, a week from Thursday, we're going to be closing on that land. And, it's, and we're going to have that land. And we're going to start a building process and, and all of this. It's going to take a couple of years to go through zoning and annexation. It'll probably be a couple of years before we actually have a building that we can move into. But one of the things, and we're excited about the future and what God is going to do. But one of the things we've talked about with our leadership team here at Orchard Church over and over is this. We are not going to get so focused on the building down the road that we miss the ministry opportunities of right now. We're not going to stop reaching people for Christ right now and seeing people saved. We're not going to stop seeing people baptized right now. We're not going to stop seeing people discipled right now. We're not going to stop seeing people get in small group right now. We're planning for the future, but listen, Orchard Church, we're living for today. Amen? We're living for today. A lot of churches make that mistake. They start thinking about a building, and then everything's about the building. 
and missing the ministry opportunities right now. We're not going to let that happen. You see, the fact that life is unpredictable and, the, and that life is brief, it's not a cause for worry. It's not a cause for fear or freak out or paralyze us. It just simply means that it ought to motivate us to trust God that much more every day. Because we don't know what the future holds. But listen, church, I've read this book. We know who holds the future. I love what the psalmist said about his God in Psalm 3115 about our God. He said, my future, God, is in your hands. It's in your hands. So James says, don't make the mistake of planning without God, presuming about tomorrow. Instead, include God in your plans and live one day at a time for today. And as we face the future, there's a third mistake we want to avoid. And it's this, putting off doing good. Don't make the mistake as you plan for the future of putting off doing good today. Verse 17, James says, therefore, to him who knows to do what? Church, say it. Good and does not do it. To him it is sin. James says it's a sin. It's wrong to know there's something we need to be doing and putting it off. This is the issue of procrastination that we can all fall into. Postponing. A lot of people live in the land of one day aisle. One day I'll do this for my family. One day I'll do this for my neighbor. One day I'll do this for God. I have every intention in January when I make my New Year's resolutions, 2015. A lot of times you hear people say, you know, I've been aiming to do this. I've been aiming to do that. I've been, I've been aiming. And I want to say, when are you going to pull the trigger? Stop aiming and shoot. Make a decision. Don't make the mistake of putting off doing good. I like the way one poet said this. He said, procrastination is my sin. It only brings me sorrow. I know I ought to change my ways. In fact, I will. Tomorrow. <laughs> A lot of people have that motto. And, I, and James tells us here, putting off doing good is a sin. Now, how do you define sin? How do most people define sin? Most people define sin, we think of evil acts, things we don't do. We, we think of sin as, you know, I, I don't steal, I don't cheat, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't lie. But Christianity is more than just a list of evils to avoid. It's more than just things we don't do. If, if all it takes to be a Christian is to not do wrong things, then every dead person is a Christian. Because they're not doing any evil. But Christianity isn't just about what you don't do. It's about what you do do. <laughs> Got to be careful with that one. James says, I can sin by not doing anything. By putting off doing good. We sometimes refer to these as sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission is when we do something that violates the word of God that we shouldn't do. Sins of omission are when we violate God's word by not doing something we should be doing. And a lot of people sin the sin of omission. They put off doing good. You probably, like me, you've met legalistic Christians or people from legalistic churches where it's all a bunch of rules of all the things you can't do. And, you know, they're proud about all the things they don't do. You know, I, I, I don't drink, cuss, smoke, or chew or run around with girls who do. And they're, they're proud about all the things they don't do. And James would say, but what do you do? 
Because we can make the mistake of sinning by putting off doing good. Procrastination is a subtle trap. Saying things like, you know, one of these days I'm going to go to the doctor for my health. One of these days I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get healthy. One of these days I'm going to spend more time with my family. One of these days I'm going to give up this bad habit. One of these days I'm going to get marriage counseling. One of these days I'm going to spend more time with my kids. One of these days I'm going to accept Christ. I'm just not ready yet. One of these days I'm going to get baptized and proclaim my faith publicly. One of these days I'm going to join the church and, you know, not just be a, an attender and a bystander, but I'm, I'm going to be a part of it. One of these days I'm going to start tithing, like the scripture says. One of these days I'm going to start serving. One of these days I'm going to invite my friend or my family member to come to church. One of these days I'm going to get in a small group where I can fellowship with other believers. One of these days I'm going to be discipled so I can grow in my faith. One of these days I'm going to disciple other people and help them grow in their faith like somebody helped me. One of these days, one of these days, putting off doing good is a mistake because we have no guarantee of tomorrow. So the mistake is putting off doing good. What, what's the solution? It's simple. Do it now. Do it now while you have the opportunity. Whatever God is asking you to do, do it now. Proverbs 3.27 says this, Do not withhold good, doing good, from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, Okay, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Proverbs says, do it now. You see, there's three things that you and I can do with our life. We can waste it, we can spend it, or we can invest it. We can invest our life in doing some things now that will last for all eternity, beyond our life down here. And when I think of that, I think of a man named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was one of several missionaries in the 1950s that wanted to reach the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And many people warned them and said, don't go try to reach this unreached people group, this unreached tribe. They're savages. They're barbarians. They will kill you. And they landed on the shores there in Ecuador. And as they were getting out of the plane and preparing to reach these people, Jim Elliott and several of his missionary friends were killed for their faith and killed by these people they were trying to reach for Christ. But before... Jim Elliott went there and people told him not to go. He said this. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. He was willing to invest in something with eternal value. And for some of those of you that know the rest of the story, they made a movie about it called The End of the Spear. Some of Jim Elliott's very own family went back to that people group and led them to Christ. Led the very guy that killed their father to Christ. He invested his life. He did something good. He didn't presume about tomorrow. One of my spiritual mentors used to say this to me all the time. He said, Doug, there's only two things that last forever. The Word of God and people. That's it. There's only two things that last forever. The Word of God and people. When we invest in the Word of God and people, it's something that lasts forever. You know, it's been said, it's not the days in your life that matter. It's the life in your days. It's what you're doing with the days you have, this day and the next that we have. And when we tend to think of life, we think about the duration of life. But God thinks about the donation of life. You've seen the statement, YOLO. What does it stand for? You only live once. 
And we can't presume about tomorrow. And what God calls us to do, we need to do it now. James says, whenever you intend to do the Lord, do it now. Do it now. Again, as I think about this building opportunity next door, I couldn't help but think of that with this message in the future and moving forward as a church. And um, Several people have asked, are we going to have a capital campaign where we try to raise some money to, to, to pay for the building and things like that? And we, we're planning to. We'll probably do it next year. I'm not going to tell you when, so you don't plan your vacations around that if you're a member of Orchard Church. But, but we're planning this. And, and um, you know, praise God, we, we bought the land for $1.8 million, 38 acres. We're planning to sell off about 20 of it, keep what we need. And we believe it's going to pay for our part. But praise God, we're taking a million dollars cash to the table, and then the owner's going to finance the other 800000 We believe we're going to be able to pay that 800000 off in the next six months and never have to take a loan out at all for any of the land. Wouldn't that be incredible, church? And let me tell you, though, one way we, we know this can easily happen. We, we, we hired a church building consultant, as I said, and he came here and he looked at our situation, our finances, and this is what he told us. He said, in the 20 years of me working with churches, I have never worked with a church that is as financially stable and healthy and ready to build as Orchard Church. Can we praise God for that? He said, I've never in 20 years. He said, we, we can build this building and move forward even if we didn't do a capital campaign. You guys can do this. But, but he said, what's so exciting is, you know, we can raise some money and then take out as little or no debt as possible. Wouldn't that be incredible if we could build this building and have this land close to debt-free or very little debt? I mean, we believe that can happen. And one of the things I want to say to you is this. He said this. He was looking at our, our budget and, and, and the tithes and the general offering of Orchard Church. And he said, you know what? If everybody at Orchard Church just tithed in the next six months, you'd have that $800,000 just like that. If everybody just did what God's called them to do and just did that, what was he saying? Do it now. You know, some of you might be waiting until a you know, building campaign and all that kind of stuff to, to give something toward this. We're here at the end of the year. Maybe you need a tax write-off. Do it now. You say, is that a commercial for our building campaign? Yes, it is. Do it now. We don't know what's going to happen next year. I hear sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm, when I die, I'm going to put in my will, I'm going to leave a, a lot of money or stuff to the church, this church or another church. I like what one pastor said. He said, do your giving while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. I like that. But he said, do it now. I hear people all the time, oh, pastor, if I win the lottery, I've been playing. If I win, I'm going to pay for that whole thing. I just want to say, just do it now. Do what you can do now. Sometimes we say things like, you know, one of these days I'm going I'm to get serious about God. I'm going to get ser serious about serving Him. And James would say, well, why not do it now? Get serious now. As we bring this to a close, I want you to turn over back in your Bibles, back to the left a little bit, to the book of Luke. And I want to read a parable, a story that Jesus told about a man who made all three of these mistakes that James is telling us today not to make. It's in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? This guy had so much crops and money and stuff, he didn't know even what to do with all of it. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, make more room for my stuff. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. 
And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods. You're rich, man. You got it made. Laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, what's the next word, church? Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus said it's foolish. Did you notice in the story of this man, it was all about him. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. My stuff, my stuff, my stuff. He made all three mistakes that James was talking about. He planned without God. He presumed about tomorrow. And he put off doing good. And, and Jesus said, fool. That's foolish. It was foolish for that man and it's foolish for me. It's foolish for all of us. To live that way with our future. One of the greatest mistakes in life is to forget God. To, to, to leave him out of our plans. And even Christians sometimes do this if we're not careful. As we bring this to a close and wrap this up, I want to, be, I want to get very real with all of us. Because I think this is so practical. What are your future plans? And does God have any say in those future plans? Are you consulting him? Does, does God have priority in your planning? Uh, let me get very specific. Have you asked God what he thinks about your plans to go to school, to date someone, who you're going to marry, or whether you're going to stay single, or where you're going to live, your purchases? Does God have any say in your plans for retirement? Does God have any say in your plans of how you spend your money, your investments, your career decisions, your business decisions? We have a lot of business people in our church. The Bible says none of us have a right as Christians to plan tomorrow, next week, or next month and leave God out of it. Without God, it's practical atheism. It's what it is. And do you tend to take tomorrow for granted? Presume about tomorrow? Thinking there will always be time later for me to spend time with my wife or with my kids or with my family or, or do something for my church. I'll do it later. You want to know one of the number one ways, especially right now going into the Christmas season, some people are going to presume about tomorrow? Buying gifts on credit. <laughs> Presuming we'll pay it off later and just get ourselves in more debt. It's not wise. If you're a business owner, is God a partner in your business? You say, well, how can you tell? Simple. You share the profits with Him. You share your profits with God. I know business people who give in two ways every month. They give out of their personal account and they tie that out of their business account. You see, because when God is a partner in your business, that's a safe place to be. That's a great business, amen? You know, we try to set this example as a church. We made a very important decision. God laid on my heart and our, our leadership's heart about, gosh, about six or seven years ago. I did my very first message on, on, on tithing. And God laid on my heart, well, how are we as a church tithing? And we started tithing 10% off our general income. So we tithe off of all of our tithes. And, and I believe it's one of the reasons why God has blessed this church so much spiritually and financially. And we tithe 10% of our general income to missions, to reach people around the world for Christ. 
This year alone, in 2014, we will give over $100,000 to worldwide missions as a church. And I believe, and yes. And, and, and I got some more great news for you guys. I've asked you guys to be praying for Marcial and Jana Munoz and their family. Uh, they've been praying about coming to Orchard Church and helping us start a Spanish ministry out of our church, a Spanish service, maybe even Orchard Church Espanol. And just two weeks ago, Marcial got all his paperwork, his visa approved. Their family will be here first week of January to be a part of our team. Can we praise God about that? And, and that was made possible because our church tithes off the tithes. What, what do you know that you need to do? But maybe you've been putting it off. James says, do it now. Do it now. Don't put off doing good. I, I want to close in a very practical way. Inside of your newsletter, every week, we give you a connection card. Now, usually if you're not a guest, you probably don't pay much attention to that. But on that connection card, on the back, there's a lot of boxes that ask if you'd be willing to be in a small group, participate in discipleship, um, be baptized, go through Discover Orchard to become a member of Orchard Church, to serve at Orchard Church. Some of you, there's some things on that box, those boxes you need to check. You know that God has been speaking to you about one or more of those areas. And I would just challenge you, don't put off doing good. Do it now. Fill it out. Give us your information. Check that box. If you know that I need to get in a small group, I need to be discipled, I need to be baptized, I know I need to go through Discover Orchard. I mean, this is, this is my home church. I don't want to just be a spectator. I want to be a member of this church. I want to serve. I mean, we're a portable church right now, and we'll be until we have our own building, and then we still need people to serve. But right now, we got people comes at 6 in the morning. They're here till 1 o'clock. We need people to help us set up. We need people to help us tear down. We're always needing help in children's ministry. Those of you that work in children's ministry, could we use more help in children's ministry? You guys can take me to lunch afterward for that. <laughs> Children's ministry. I mean, because our church is growing 15, 20% every month, guess what else is growing? Our children's ministry. We need your help. Just check that box. Say, I'll serve. And the other put children's ministry. If you're not sure where, where you want to serve, but you're willing to serve, just check the box. Give us your information. We'll contact you. We'll talk to you about that. There's always ways you can help out. There's always ways to serve. Whatever God is saying you need to be doing, don't put it off. Get the blessing of it. Do it now. Do it now. And more importantly than anything else, before membership and small groups and discipleship and baptism, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, all those around you who have would say, do it now. Nobody has the promise of tomorrow. Do it now. Don't put it off any longer. Don't gamble with eternity. And it's a decision you'll never regret. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 6 2. For God says at just the right time, I heard you when you called on me. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And I believe for some of you, today is your day to receive Christ. Do it now. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't make the mistake about presuming about tomorrow. Don't put off doing good. And the best thing you can do is accept Christ. And if that's you this morning, I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation, a prayer of faith that you can pray right where you sit from your heart to God's 
and invite him into your life to forgive you of your sins, to give you a home in heaven, an eternal life. I'll help you with a prayer. I'll give you the words. Now listen, it's not a magic prayer. These aren't magic words. But if you put belief and faith behind it and you mean it, the Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can invite Jesus into your life today. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, if today's your day of salvation, you want to do it now, would you pray this prayer with me from your heart to God's? It goes like this. Jesus, I call on you today to be my Lord and my Savior. I don't want to put it off any longer. I want you in my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Save me today. I want eternal life. I want a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, forgiving me, and giving me new life today. Thank you. Well, heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I want to pray for you personally. You just made the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I want to pray for you that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus from this day forward. All across the auditory, if you prayed that prayer, would you slip up your hand right now? Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just put it up. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? I prayed that prayer of faith to invite Jesus in my life today. I don't want to put it off any longer. Anyone else? Father, thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today and not putting it off. I pray that they would grow in their relationship with you from this day forward. And as a church, that we would help them and disciple them in any way we can. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I know we have a lot of believers here this morning. Has James spoke to you today? Has God's word spoke to you today? Have you been planning without God? Have you been presuming about tomorrow? Have you been putting off doing good and you know it and you would say, you know what? God has spoken to me today. There's some things I need to do differently and I need to do it now. Would you pray for me that I would put these things into practice and God would bless me for being obedient to his word today? Would you slip up your hand for prayer all across the auditorium? If that's you, God bless you. Hands everywhere. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, we pray that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only. As James says, that we would do it now. That we would, we would not presume about tomorrow or plan without you. That we would not put off doing good. And that we would receive the blessing of a life obedient to you, submitted to you, honoring to you. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. So that we could be saved and we could have a relationship with you. And that we could face our future hand in hand, heart in heart with you pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. If you, uh, if you made a decision for Christ this morning, please let us know about that on your connection card. You check that box. Uh, drop in the offering bucket as it goes by so we can just continue to pray for you. If you're a first-time guest here at Orchard Church today, thanks so much for being our guest. Uh, we hope we have blessed you as much as you have blessed us by joining us today. If you filled out your guest connection card, please drop that in the offering bucket as it goes by so we can send you a thank you note and a gift in the mail for being our guest. If you made any decisions and you check those boxes, drop those in as well. Um, do it now as, the, as that goes by. Um, I hope you guys all plan to try to join us tonight, 6.30, right here at Prairie View High School. We're having a very special Thanksgiving communion. We, we try to do this every year, the Sunday night before Thanksgiving, because as we enter Thanksgiving week, there's nothing that we should be more thankful for than our salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? So we're going to do that tonight, 630. Come join us. Right now, let's stand. Let's close in a response of worship through song, worship through giving. God bless you guys for being here today.